All of this in heaven too. Amen? It doesn't get any better than this. I so appreciate our college kids from ETBU and Letourneau and Kilgore. What a blessing they are to us. And, and uh, we won't have them now, some of them, for about another, I think, that two or three more weeks. And then they'll depart and go back home. And we're praying that, uh, and know that they're just as faithful there as they are here. And we praise the Lord for them. Turn, if you would, to Joshua chapter 14. Joshua chapter 14. Uh, thank you for being here this morning, and we'll try to uh, make this as fast as possible because our kids are with us, and uh, we, want to, we want to have a good lunch. Amen? I don't want anybody to have to go home and take Alka-Saucer before you eat lunch. So Joshua chapter 14, and kids, what we do in here is we stand when we read the Word of the, of the Lord because it's reverence. So would you stand with me for God's holy, inspired, inerrant, all-sufficient word? That's why we do that. Beginning in verse 5. As the Lord commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did, and they divided the land. Then the children of Judah came unto Joshua and Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenzanite, said unto him, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God, concerning me and thee in Kadesh Barnea. Forty years old I was when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt. But I wholly followed the Lord my God. Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land whereon thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance, and thy children's forever because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. And now behold, the Lord hath kept me alive, as he said, these forty and five years, uh, even since the Lord spake this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old, eighty-five years old. Verse 11, as yet I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me. As my strength was then, even so is my strength now. For war, both to go out and to come in. Now, therefore, give me this mountain whereof the Lord spake in that day. Father, thank you this morning how we've been blessed to, Lord, just hear music, talk about obedience and wholly following the Lord completely with the heart and not have fear. And God, all of those things are exactly what's here in Joshua chapter 14. Would you just continue to let your spirit move in this service? God, have your way in every one of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We're talking this morning about a man that's 85 years old. Not a, not a young man, but he's been walking with God all of his life. And he still has a desire to finish well, even at 85. At verse 12, he said, give me that mountain. I want that mountain that the Lord has promised me. There's no assurance that we're going to live to be 85 unless you're 85 already in here today. Uh, a lot of people though, we just need to understand we need to live our life to the fullest, whether we're 65, 85, 95, or 15. Our life needs to be lived to the fullest for the glory of God. There's so many Christians today 
who are earning a living while they're wasting their life and losing their lives. They're drawing breath, they're drawing a salary, but they live defeated lives because they have unsurrendered wills. It's not because God's not strong enough. Don't you come up in here this morning telling me God's not strong enough to do what he needs to do. He can do anything. The problem doesn't lie with God. The problem lies with us. And so there are a lot of folks today in the valley of depression, and yet God's meant for us to live in the high mountaintop of victory. We're living, should be living in the sunlit peaks of the glory of the mountain that God has given. Caleb was that kind of man. Even at 85, he was that kind of man. Now let's just look here briefly this morning. How does his life start? How does it start? Well, when you study the life of Caleb, you begin to understand this is not some blimp on the screen. This is not some accident. This is not some special occasion. This has been going on all of Caleb's life. What we see here when he's 85 and says, I want that mountain, Caleb's been living like that all his life. This is not something new. He followed the Lord, the Bible says, holy with a W, wholeheartedly, all the days of his life. Runners, when they start to run, Man, they've got to know how to start. If you're in a fast, a short race, depending on how you start, you can lose the race before you ever get started. I mean, you've got to know how to start the race. Well, some folk have started well, and maybe you're sitting here this morning, uh, I, I, I didn't start very well. Well, the promised land here, Canaan land, represents several things for us as Christians, whether you're on the right road this morning or not. See, if you're not on the right road, you can get on the right road. That's the good news this morning. When, when you talk about uh, uh, promised land, you're talking about release. They've been in bondage all of this time to Egypt, and yet now they're released, they're free. Let me tell you something this morning. If you are not saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, you're still in bondage now. The devil says, jump, and you say, how high? The devil says, I want you to go over here. You say, what's the directions? And see, they were living that same way. But, but for promised land, Canaan land meant release for them. Not only did it mean release, it meant rest. Well, I see Christians today who are having everything but rest. No rest whatsoever. They're nervous. They're frustrated. They don't know what to do. <laughs> they kind of remind me of that deep sea diver that was a down on the bottom of the ocean and he got a, a note over his headphones a voice said come up quickly the ship is sinking and he don't know what to do he don't know whether to come up or stay down that's how a lot of christians are today we don't know what to do we don't know what to do we're we're anxious we're frustrated we're disappointed but i want to tell you those words aren't in the lord's vocabulary they're not in there yeah, there are going to be troubles. Yeah, there are going to be hardships. Yeah, there are going to be disappointments. But he gives us release. He gives us rest. But he also gives us refreshment. Hallelujah. Mm. Refreshment. They've had, up to this time, it's been in the desert. But now they enter Canaan land. Milk, honey, figs, grapes, pomegranates, corn, wine. Wow. Not only does it mean rest and release and refreshment, it meant reality reality you see up, up until this time this group has just heard sermons about canaan land they, they've heard sermons now folks we've just heard sermons about heaven we don't know what heaven's really like it's going to be better than any preacher's ever been able to explain it i'll guarantee you that 
But we don't know what it's like. These folks didn't know what Canaan land was like, but now they've crossed over the Jordan River. They've seen the grapes. They've seen the milk, the honey. They've seen all of these wonderful things. And man, what a blessing that is. So how did Caleb get there? How did he get started? Well, he had to be born in Egypt. And Egypt to us represents sin. It represents bondage. It represents the world. Always has. Anywhere in the Bible it's there. Now listen, if you're going to live on this mountain of, of victorious Christian living, you're going to have to be brought out of bondage. They had to be. He, 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 listen, if he would have stayed in Egypt, he wouldn't be going up in here in Canaan land now. You've got to get out of Egypt if you're going to live on the victorious mountain. Boy, sin, bondage, separated from God, from Egypt to the place of promise. Mount Hebron means fellowship. He goes all the way from bondage all the way over here to fellowship. I will tell you, folks, there are a lot of people today who want to live on Mount Hebron but they want to do it down in Egypt in sin. Now, do you listen to me? Mount Hebron is not in Egypt. If you're going to live on Mount Hebron, if you're going to live victoriously, you're going to have to get out of Egypt. And God had a plan to get him out. Here was the plan. He said, uh, you go out and you kill a spotless lamb and you put the, door, the blood over the doorpost of your house. And the Bible says, when I see the blood, I'll pass over your house. And uh, Canaan, uh, Caleb uh, is old enough now. He's old enough. He's got to go out. He's got to kill a lamb. Uh, he's got to, to uh, sacrifice that lamb. He's got to put that blood over the doorpost of his life. And as good a man as he is, as strong a man as he is, he did not have the power to get out of Egypt. Only God could do that. Folks, I want to tell you something this morning. I don't care how strong you are, how big you are, how, how smart you think you are. You can't get out of your Egypt. The only way you're going to get out of sin and bondage is to submit yourself to Jesus Christ. That's it. You don't submit yourself to Christ, you're going to continue to live in bondage. Well, conversion always begins with God. Always. Now, we're the subject of his work, we're the object of his work, but it always starts with God. God did for Caleb the exact same thing that God did for you and me. The thing is, we don't have to go out and kill a, a, a lamb this morning because Jesus is our spotless lamb. He is the lamb who was sacrificed once and for all for my sin and for your sin. And we take that blood of that sacrificial lamb and we put that in our heart and in our life and we submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful that this happened to me when I was an eight-year-old little boy on a Wednesday night in a revival service. I'm thankful for that. You say, well, an eight-year-old boy. An eight-year-old boy, let me tell you, it takes just as much of the blood of Jesus to save an eight-year-old as it does the biggest sinner in Longview, Texas. He had to die for my sin. He had to die. That's why I can hear old Happy Goodman singing, Egypt was once my home. I was a slave, helpless in sin to Rome. Uh, love's life did crave. But when I looked up to heaven's dome, Christ came to save. I'm living in Canaan now. That's what we can sing when we've applied the blood to our lives. It's important how you got 
started. The first thing you got to do is get on the right road. Mm. Someone has said if a woman would have been leading this group, they'd have got there 39 and a half years earlier. They'd have stopped and asked for directions. It's a 7-Eleven somewhere. But Moses was leading this group, and he does, he's a man. He ain't going to stop and ask for directions nowhere. We'll wander around in the desert 40 years before we let somebody know we're lost. Have you experienced that conversion? I'm telling you, you're not getting to Mount Hebron to the victorious living until, first of all, you get on the right road, the road of salvation. The second thing, though, I notice here is Caleb's convictions he, the Bible says in verse 7, he got a good reputation. They go back to Numbers 13. <clears throat> God told, uh, and, and this is typical Baptist committees, uh, God said, have a committee of 12, and what we want you to do is go over there and see if everything they said about Canaan is true. Well, those 12, they, they pick one from each tribe, and out of all of the thousands of people, Caleb was picked out of his tribe. Now, that's a young man who's standing out. He, he's got a reputation. And we need to be concerned about our character, about our reputation, and about our testimony. And I want to tell you, folks, I'll just be honest with you. Living in this world that we live in today, it gets harder and harder and harder to try to keep your reputation and your character in check. I mean, just driving down Interstate 20 will tax you. I'm just telling you, just dealing with people in the grocery store. I got like to gotten a fight at uh, Wendy's. I was over at the Baskin Robbins side. That's the important side of that place. <laughs> Nobody has tin roof anymore around here, but they have a chocolate almond that's not bad. And this guy walks up, and he just gets ahead of everybody. Ooh, you do not know. I stand there looking at that chocolate almond. You just do not know. And the lady said, sir, I believe he was here first. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> huh? <laughs> Man, you, you're on guard all the time with that. Not only did he have a good integrity and testimony, but he had a godly resolve. He, he's telling in verse 8, he said, remember, Joshua, when we went down there and, and, and they told us to go over and, and, and do a report and we went over there and, man, we came back. And he said, all of our group came back. They started talking about how big the grapes were and, boy, the, the, the milk and honey just flowed. And there were cities over there that we didn't have to build. There were vineyards over there. There were wells over there. And the people are saying, amen, amen, let's go. And then those ten said, but, but, there's some bad people over there. Big people over there. The biggest and baddest people we ever saw in our life are over there. We can't do it. We can't do it. The Bible says in Numbers 13 and 30, Caleb, I think he's got a, steel rod in his back he bowed his back and he set his face and he said we should go up and possess the land because God said it already belongs to us all throughout now the people didn't like it the committee got together and said look 
we need to fire Moses. We need to find us a better preacher. So they were going to fire Moses, get another preacher to lead them back to Egypt. Won't that bless your heart? I, I, I don't know about you, but I want to tell you, I don't want to go back to Egypt. I don't want to go back to sin. I don't want to go back. I want to go forward. He said, let's take the land. Now listen to me. He didn't sweep it under the rug. We'll get to that in a minute. In Numbers 14, the Bible says, Caleb and Joshua had a different spirit. Caleb followed me wholeheartedly. You see, the majority of those people measured the giants against their own strength and said, we can't do it. But Joshua and Caleb, they measured those giants against the great God. To those ten on that committee, they had big giants and a little God, but to Joshua and Caleb, they had a big God and little giants. He started by the blood of the Lamb with a backbone of steel. He stood when nobody else cared. I want to tell you something about Caleb now. He is not interested in what the polls say. He doesn't do a poll and then decide what he's going to do based on a poll. He's not interested in what the people were saying. He's not basing his decision on emotions. He's not even basing his decision on what his colleagues tell him to do. He, he said, I don't mind being the minority on this earth. As long as God, I'm with him. We're the majority. He didn't care what Reader's Digest said. He didn't care what CNN, the Canaan News Network said. He didn't care. All he wanted to know is, what is the one who died for me? What does he say? What does he want me to do? Where does he want me to go? We've been saved. We ought to be following his direction, his plan, his will. He ought to be the only one we're interested in following. How his life started, he started just like your life will start when you give your heart and life to Jesus and submit, and the blood of Jesus covers your sins. That's how he started. Now, how does he continue? Because I'm going to be honest with you, <laughs> I haven't seen any awards given out for how good they you start the race. A lot of people start the race. The, the important thing is, are you going to continue in the race, and are you going to finish the race? See, anybody can start a race. Let me tell you, if politics was based on how good somebody started the race, we'd be talking about President Dukakis now. Huh? We'd be talking about President Giuliani now. We'd be all that. It don't matter how you start. If businesses were based on how they started, man, those big scissors cutting that ribbon and the place is full. You go there to eat and you have to wait an hour and a half. You go back three months and you can just cruise on in there anywhere you want to. It don't matter how you start. I mean, it's important you get on the right road, but that's not how you finish. You got to move on from there. His desire 
is for the things of God. 85 years old, they're dividing the land. 45 years earlier, Moses had said, wherever you put your feet, it's going to be yours and your descendants. So for 45 years or 40 years in the wilderness, this man walked with his friends, watching them drop like flies because they were dying off there, all dying under the chastisement of God. How do you continue to walk with God when everybody around you is dying off and they're not following God? You've got to keep your eyes on God. You've got to know what the prize is. <laughs> the prize in this life is not a great church. Thank God for this church and for you. But that's not the prize. <laughs> Man, the prize is we've got a home not built with hands. Man has had nothing to do with where we're headed for. It's totally prepared for us by the Lord. I've watched it in others, and I've watched it in myself. I've got spiritual ADD. I can be just serving the Lord and everything just be wonderful, and some little old distraction from the world come, and suddenly my mind's over here, and I've forgotten what I was doing for God. Spiritual ADD. One moment serving God, one moment not. There are people, I was talking this morning, I preached a sermon over at Arabella, and, and I said, I don't want to be too hard on y'all. And they said, lay it on us, preacher. We like good preaching. I said, well, there's, there's a part in my sermon that talks about the people who sleep during church. And I said, I don't want to offend you or embarrass you. If you're here over 65, you have every right to sleep whenever you want to. <laughs> Amen? I was in a conference. I, I swore to goodness in a conference with Brother Case on Thursday, and I thought it was my mama sitting next to me. I would just about doze off and be in a good sleep, and he'd go, <clears throat> Has that ever happened to you? I knew her voice in a whole crowd, brother, I guarantee you. Yeah. You may be here this morning. If you're here this morning, you say, Well, the reason, preacher, I'm just so wore out, I'm fatigued. If you're fatigued and the only place you can go to sleep is in the house of God, you really need to cut some things out of your life. You really need to rest. But there's some of us in here on medicine, you know, some, some, <laughs> thank God for medicine, amen? <laughs> Somebody said, what do you do when people are asleep in church? I say, you wake up the preacher. But sometimes... Many times has nothing to do with fatigue, has nothing to do with medicine, has nothing to do with age. There are many people who are asleep in this place today because they don't care about the things of God. Caleb wanted the things of God. He said, God promised me that mountain. He, that's what's kept me going. I've been through trials, I've been through tribulations, I've been through sickness, I've been through disappointment, through depression, through frustration. I want that mountain. I want everything God promised me. That's what's kept me going. I can't prove this, but you can't prove it didn't happen. I believe that 40 years, them wandering around out there, I think every hill they came to, old Caleb run up that hill. Run back down. Somebody said, what are you doing, Caleb? It's out here in the desert. It's hot. I'm practicing. God's given me a mountain. I'm just practicing. 
Every hill he came to, I'm practicing. <laughs> he had an appetite for the things of God. Friend, do, do you really have an appetite for the things of God? 45 years, Hebron was in the front windshield of old Caleb's life. That's all he could think about. Do, do, do you have any spiritual goals in your life this morning? Now, I'm pretty sure I don't believe in goals. Well, then you probably won't hit any. You won't miss any either. I mean, do, could, could somebody, I'm talking to me now, could I not learn one scripture a month? I mean, one a month. Could I do that? Is there anybody here couldn't do that? To learn one scripture by memory a month. I'm afraid you you know, could, could you not witness to just one person a month? You say, well, preacher, if we just did one a month, we just did one scripture, why well, it would take, we never would memorize. Well, you'd memorize more than what you memorize now. Anybody in here got a goal to be a better teacher? Or you just took your class? Brother Kay said, would you teach this? Oh, yeah, I'll teach it. And you just sitting there in the water like you were two years ago or three years ago? Or have you said, I want to be a better teacher? I want to study. I want to go to this study course. I want to do this. I want to be a better teacher. Or are you just happy doing what you're doing? More patient? Oh, my goodness. Has anybody got a Pepsi AD in here this morning? I, I think I need one right now. Mm. More kind, more loving. Anybody in this place this morning ever thought about what I want to do is be a better husband? No, I married my wife 40 years ago. Everything's been good. Your head is in the sand. Better wife? I, I believe if you talked to old Caleb this morning, his goals wouldn't be a 401K or a gold watch. His goals would be to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. His activity in the things of God. Hmm. It's going to take some work. Now here's, here's what I wanted to point out a while ago, and I got ahead of myself. He acknowledges, listen to me, he acknowledges 45 years ago what you guys who are against this, it's true what you said. It's true. There are some giants over there in that land. It's true. He didn't try to sweep it. See, in churches, we try to make everything look so good that nobody wants to oppose it. Hey, there's some giants out there. They're big and they're bad. And there's a lot of people just hate Christ, period, and hate the church. His activity in the things of God. No luxury, I'd rather have labor. No retired, I'd rather be rehired. Uh, going into Canaan land here to Mount Hebron is a little bit more than just cutting down some trees and building a road because the biggest and the baddest live there. But he said, I'm as strong as I was 45 years ago. And the same God who promised he'd take us through then is the same God I'm serving today. And I tell you, here's the bottom line. I want that mountain. I want what God promised me. I'll come, preachers, 
as long as I don't have to do anything. I, I, I'll give. I'll give, preacher. Now, I'm not going to give no whole lot. And I want you to know I'm going to scrutinize every penny I give. I want to make sure that God is blessed with it. I'm going to scrutinize it. I'll join this church, preacher, as long as you promise to meet all my needs. I'll teach a class, Brother Case, if it's an easy class. Hey, I'll, I'll go down there and be with the uh, uh, children's class. If you've got a class where the children don't scream and cut up and they all behave, I'll take that class one Sunday a quarter. I'll be there, preacher, unless something comes up. I'll take a nursery class if you can guarantee kids won't act up, spit up, throw up, and the parents will show up. I'll work with youth as long as I'm not expected to get involved in the messiness of their life. I'll tell you what I'll do, preacher. I'll even take a young couples class if you'll give me that class where all those young couples wake up in the morning singing, You are so beautiful to me. And they just all get along together. But I don't have time to deal with all the problems of marriage. And I don't have time to deal with all these other stuff. I can't get bogged down. If you've got something easy, preacher, I'll do it. And Caleb would say to you this morning, you must not know the same Jesus I know. The Jesus I know gave his life for me. And I'll not be satisfied to do any less for him. Now, let me hurry to tell you this. That was for just a couple of folk here. I thank God Woodland Hills is a church that is full of Caleb's. Sometimes on Wednesday night, us old folk gather in here for a Bible study. We'll work through a couple of songs and try to get our arthritis going and all. And I think, you know, man. And then I'm reminded that there's more than 75 men and women all over this place working with children and youth and college and music, all of that, people all over this place. Thank God. Let me just tell you, not every church is like this. There are, there are churches that have what's quoted a nominating committee, and they, they, they pull their hair out trying to get somebody to fill in. I've never seen that happen here. I've never seen that happen. Let me, before I conclude, though, let me, let me go back over here. This, this little lady right here, Miss Kay Glass, I call her the general. I left the hospital about 1.15 this morning. I said, Kay, what time you get off? She said, 8 o'clock in the morning. And she never misses. That, that, that's what we're talking about with Caleb here. See, the things of God are more important than the things of this world. Let me just close with how his life concludes. Now, the text doesn't show it, but he's, he's coming to an end in his life. He's playing, if you guys know football, he's playing like it's a fourth quarter and the two-minute warning is up and he's a freshman trying to impress the coach. That's what he's playing like here. He, he's hungry. He, he's got integrity. Three times in chapter 14, six times in the whole book of Joshua, 
He wholly, wholeheartedly followed the Lord. He was absolutely filled. He was absolutely consumed with the Lord. It's the word used to describe a bottle that's filled or a fulfillment of a commitment. Every area of his life was given to God. No exceptions. I was thinking about how to illustrate that. I thought, what if uh, you had a friend come over to your house and y'all were drinking coffee and just having a great time, fellowship. Phone rings, they need you down at the office, 15 minutes. So you tell your friend, what do you tell them? You say, hey, how many times have we done this? I got to go to the office, 15 minutes. Just make yourself at home, okay? I'll be back in just a few minutes. How many, how many of y'all have done that to somebody? Just make yourself at home, sure, uh, no problem. You get back in 15 minutes, and that dude is laying in your bedroom across your bed with your own private robe on. He's got your bunny rabbit slippers on. And he's sitting there going through the last three years of your tax returns. You say, man, what in the world are you doing? You told me to make myself at home. Well, that's not what I meant, amen? We know what that means. But he said, make yourself at home. We don't mean that, but now you listen to me. Almost over. God does mean that. When you come and you surrender your life to God, God says, uh, you want me to come in? You want me to lead you? You want me to be your Savior and Lord? Then I want to tell you, I got access to your finances. I'm going to look and see everything. And everything you're doing in your finances better be wholly devoted to me. I got access to your cell phone. And I'm going to go through the contacts and I'm going to see all your messages and I'm going to see all your phone calls and you say, oh no, I've wiped them out. No, he knows how to dig up the history. And everything in your cell phone better be wholly devoted to me. I, I, I got a GPS on your car. And I'm going to look at that GPS, and everywhere you go, every spot you go to, it better be wholly devoted to me. I'm going to look at your Internet. It better be wholly devoted. I'm going to look at your comings and going. I'm going to follow you around. I'm going to tap your phone. Every area of your life ought to belong to Jesus. You say, preacher, that's, uh, that's just impossible. Well, it might be a little more possible if we tried a little harder. And then the impact on his life. As a father, this is a, probably the most compelling part for me. Because not only was the land promised to Caleb, but it was promised to his descendants also. His family. It's not just Caleb. We, we get a little better glimpse of it the next time when I'm back and, and preach. He's got a daughter and son-in-law living on the land, and she comes to him and says, Daddy, uh, we, we thank God for the land and all you provided and all, but we don't have no water. Can we, can we access water from the waterway over here? And that daddy says, well, sure you can. Because of Caleb's faithfulness, they've got a place to live, they've got food to eat, they've got water to drink. And then the Bible says that his son-in-law becomes a judge, actually the first judge of Israel. And because of his integrity, the Bible says that there was peace in the land for 30 years. 
You see, folks, the bottom line is you leave your kids money, they're going to spend it. You leave your kids possessions, they're going to fight over it and then end up selling it. What you need to be considering is leaving your kids a legacy. One of the greatest legacies that we're about to see passed is to teach our children that this book is God's inerrant word. I mean, more and more. More and more. I'm not talking about cults. I'm talking about Baptist churches where pulpits are filled with preachers that say, well, there's some error in here. Let me tell you something. If there's error in here, then you can't trust anything in this book. There is no error in here. The error is the one who's holding the book. The days are drawing short. I believe that. In fact, I'm going to just encourage you to get saved today because I'm planning on my wife and I holding hands and the rapture happening in the next week while we're in Israel. We just, and, and the only way I'm going to see you again is if you're right with God. That's the only way it's going to happen. I mean, we just going to, I think from over there, they're a little higher elevation than we are. We'll just float up. Some of y'all going to be jerked. You know why you're going to be jerked? Because you're saved by the blood, but you're doing some things that don't honor Christ, and he's not going to float you up. He's going to jerk you up. Thank God you'll get there. I just believe in my heart that it's time we stop being sermon listeners and start being some mountain climbers. My heart would jump for joy if I thought half the people in this congregation would say, we're going all out for Jesus. We'd change this whole part of the country. It would change. You say, oh, I want to. Well, that's great. That's getting started. Get on the right road. You've got to continue. And even when life is winding down, you're still doing it for the glory of God. I just wonder... If anybody here this morning would join me in saying, I want that mountain. I want what God has promised me. I'm tired of seeing my family torn up and arguing and all of the bitterness and hatred. I want that mountain. I want peace. I want rest. I want release. I want refreshment. Don't you let the world tell you those things are not possible. They are possible. You've just got to put your focus upon Jesus and not the things of this world. Lord, we're grateful today for all you've given us, all the blessings we have been blessed with. I'm asking you, Lord Jesus, there are those in this place today, they don't know the mountain because they've never gotten on the right road. They've never asked Christ to save them from being a sinner. They've never repented of their sin and today, Lord Jesus, I'm asking you to touch them with the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we're not interested in somebody just making a decision to sign a card. Lord, what we're interested in is your Holy Spirit filling people and changing their lives, changing their attitudes, changing their spirits. Only you can do that. We can't do it. There are others that need a church home. And Lord, I pray that if it's your will that this is where you want them to be. Would they take their wife and their children here on family day and say, we want to come and we want to make this our place where we worship God. We want to make this our place where we'll serve the Lord. We'll give, we'll pray, we'll work.
to see the kingdom of God grow on the face of this earth. Lord, there's some in this place that they got started a long, long time ago. For many years, they, they fought the battle and they, they stood up for you. And now they just kind of at ease in Zion. Lord, would you speak to their hearts this morning? And would they rise up and come to this altar and say, Lord Jesus, give me that mountain that you promised us. You promised us you'd never leave us nor forsake us. You promised us you'd walk with us day and night. You promised us there'd be no temptation that would come against us that you wouldn't provide a way of escape. And Lord, here I am. I want to follow you all the way. All the way. I don't care where you lead. I'm going to follow you. I don't care what the polls say. I don't care what my family says. I don't care what my colleagues say. I'm going to follow the one who died on Calvary and rose from that grave. Lord, would you have your will in every life? Don't let a person leave this place until they've done what they need to do for your glory. In Jesus' name, I'm asking. And I'm looking forward to what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen.